0: at LuckyLandSlots.com Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. apply.
2: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome to this week's episode of Steeler's War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matty Peverell, the host of the show that likes to put you in the minds of Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, Anthony Weidel, and the rest of the Steelers front office as they look to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond, a roster that can compete for a seventh Lombardi trophy. And I got to say, a roster that's two and six and is coming off the bye. And, you know, Mike Tomlin traditionally does well. In this, um, and so the, the Steelers we have against New Orleans Saints at home, I think that helps um, before we start an interesting stretch um down the road against the Bengals, um we replay them at home, then then we go away to the Indianapolis Colts, who have just changed coach, obviously, they look like they're now hunting in the top for a draft pick. um We play away to the Atlanta Falcons. who knows what get, uh, that game will look like at home against the Baltimore Ravens. We really need to split that series if we're any hope in hell really <laughs> trying to make playoffs have a positive record um away to Carolina, who knows what that game looks like. Then we have the Las Vegas Raiders at home on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Again, who knows what that's going to look like um, by that stage with both teams and where they're at. Then away to Baltimore and then finish the season at home on January 8th against the Cleveland Browns. But um, it all starts this week. If the Steelers are going to be able to go on a run, the Steelers are going to be able to keep Mike Tomlin's streak up, whether that matters to most Steelers fans now. When you can clearly tell we're probably not competing for a seventh Lombardi trophy. Some fans are in them. We want picks. Um, camp and, and, you know, I can, I can understand why that would be the case. Um, but if the Steelers are going to go on a run, we're going to finish with a positive record. It's all going to come down to. Um, I personally think this game and the Colts game, um, and then we, you've got to try and win, split the division across the board. But really, you're going to have to try and take a lead into against two of those teams. So with that in mind, um, in part one of this week's show, we're going to preview the New Orleans rookies, as we always do in season, the rookie reports. Then I'm going to actually start looking at some college draft prospects. 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 <laughs> prospects. Um, and getting back to that, uh, which is something we usually do on the show, I've been a little bit away from that this season just because of how many rookies we've had playing, the influence they've had. Obviously, we didn't play a game on the weekends. There's no point reviewing Steelers rookies and, and what they did. Um, and, and looking ahead, I mean, we know Pickett, Freemuth, Warren, Pickens are all going to play a key role in this game. So, um, that, that, that just, we can, we can just say that now. But the Steelers go up against the three and six New Orleans Saints, uh, who literally are on a one loss winning, a uh, one loss winning streak, one loss streak, uh, won their first game, one game, uh, their fifth game of the season, and won their eighth game of the season. So, um, otherwise they've had these six losses. So a three loss stretch, a two loss stretch. Hopefully the Steelers can keep that going for them. They don't have a buy till week 14. Uh, they've had a sort of interesting season with different players in and out, um, as well. So, I mean, the Steelers aren't going against the strongest team in the league. Um, you've got Andy, Andy Dalton, a quarterback, obviously, He's 35. We've seen him when he played for the Bengals. We know his measure that probably helps the Steelers, um, in this capacity as well. Uh, you know, particularly coming out of a buy when they've had a chance to game plan. Um, we know Mike Tomlin's really, really good. Um, or his team's performed well when they've had two weeks to game plan. So that's going to be a real positive for them. If you look on the rookie side for the Saints, um, now, they've got a couple of guys that are on IR. So Trevor Penning, their first-round pick, Kylie touted, obviously picked before the Steelers. Uh, Smoke Monday, who was an undrafted free agent at safety, um, who that people sort of thought might have been scraping in the seventh round. He's on IR. DeMarco Jackson's on IR, their fifth-round pick, 161st overall. They've got a tight end on the pup list, who's a rookie. Um, Alonte Taylor is playing. Rashid Shahid, Rashid? Shahid has been playing... Chris Alave and Lewis Kidd so they're the four players we're going to focus on. Uh and that's a good segue into Lewis Kidd. Uh so Lewis Kidd is a offensive lineman, six foot six, three hundred and eleven pounds, according to Pro Football reference, um, out of Montana State. Undrafted uh rookie for them. Has played You know, uh, played a bit of special teams, played a little bit of offense on the season so far. He's played about 7% of the offensive snaps for New Orleans. He wears jersey number 66. He's a depth piece for them. Players played 15% of the special team snaps on the season as well. So these probably his biggest contribution, uh, well, definitely his biggest contribution came in week six against Cincinnati with a, which the New Orleans Saints lost by four points, uh, where he played almost 50% of the offensive snaps with 32. Otherwise, he's barely seen ball on the offensive side. Again, he's that depth piece. He's like a John McGlue from the last year for us. Um, then we look at what wide receiver Rashid Shaheed. Um, so he's six foot, 180 pounds out of Weber State, also undrafted. He's played in four games this season. Uh in week eight, he had three targets, three receptions for 38 yards. In week seven, he had one target, one reception for 53 yards. Um, one that we went for a TD as well. So it's a deep pass. He had one rush for 44 yards in week six. So he can do a little bit in that sort of that sweep game as well. He wears jersey number eighty-nine. Uh, and he, I don't have a 440, a 40, 40 yard time, <laughs> 440. <laughs> I just assume that's what he ran. Um, I don't have a, uh, 40 yard time for him. Um, but he's played 15% of the offensive snaps on the season. He's played in four games, started one, and he's played 35% of the special team snaps as well because he does kick and punt returns. So he's had six returns for 57 yards on punts and four kick returns for 76 yards. Um, on kickoffs, we then go into. I want to honor to talk about Chris Olave, who obviously we know he went in the first round, um, as well. And Chris Olave, um, is, it's kind of cool with him. He went 11th overall, he's kind of flown under the radar between guys like you know, uh, Pickens and Drake London and Garrett Wilson and some of those different guys. He's totally flown under the radar, and so he's actually already on the season. Um, had 618 yards, caught 43 receptions off 72 targets, started six out of eight games he's, pl- that he's played in two TDs, 28 first downs. He's just, just misses out on a 60% catch percentage with 59.7 yards per target is 8.6. So he's really gaining a lot of yardage from them as well. Um, he's only had one fumble on the season, but 43, re- you know, through eight games, um, or playing in eight games. 43 receptions. That's average of more than five per game. Um, Two TDs isn't too bad, but 618 yards is pretty good. Uh, You know, so he's definitely contributing um, for them in a way that you would want out of a first round draft pick for sure. Um, That that's, Definitely the sort of performance you're looking out of for out of your number 12. He's actually ninth overall, um, in the league for receiving yards. So he's in a top 10 position as well. That's pretty good out of a 22 year old, um, rookie wide receiver as well. So definitely someone that's really taking up a role for them. They've needed that with Michael Thomas out. Jarvis Landry's been out. I mean, Michael Thomas is out for the year. Jarvis Landry's been out a lot this season. Someone he's on one of my fantasy squad and he's done terrible. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of is what it is, but Olave also having had 147 yards in week three, he had 106 in week seven. So he's had big games. He's the last time he had under 50 yards was in week one. So it kind of gives you a sense of the Steelers need to shut him down to help shut this offense down. Chris Olave is going to be a really big player. Um, you know, in, t- in terms of what they- their season looks like as well. And if they're going to go on a run themselves, um, he's going to be a big part of that. So Dalton will be looking his way. And so that chemistry between them will be really important. And then moving across to the last rookie that we can preview that's been playing is Alonte Taylor, one of my draft crushes. Um, went really high in the draft in the second round, 49th overall. If you're listen- regularly regular listening to my show, you know I thought he possibly could slip to early the 4th, but I likely was going to go early the 3rd. Didn't think he'd quite scrape through into the second. Uh, I was pretty keen on him for the Steelers. Really like the guy. Brought him into like, my Madden team and stuff like that. Uh, I just think he's a really good tackler. Uh, I don't think he's quite big enough to play safety at 193 pounds and um, six foot, but he plays like a strong safety sometimes in what he does on the field. Haven't got to watch much of him in the NFL, so I can't say whether he's brought that across. Um, but he's definitely been contributing for the New Orleans Saints um, with playing 100% of the snaps in Week 7 and 8, 88% in Week 9 against Baltimore um as well. So he, he's been doing pretty well. He's only allowed four completions on 14 targets for the entire year at a 28.6% completion rate, only allowed 57 yards, and allowed no TDs, allowed a quarterback ratio or rating of 44.0. Um, so pretty cool. Only missed one tackle, which is 8.3% of his 11 tackles. Um, but that's like one, that's a high percentage when you've only made 11 tackles. And so, um, I think, I think that's pretty good from him too. Um, particularly with that percentage and, and looking at the cornerback position and he's a rookie, he wears Jersey number 27. He's played 61% of the defensive snaps, Um, available in games that he's played in 36% of the special team snaps as well. He ran a 436 in the draft that I think really elevated his stock and got him into the second round, but he's he's a really good player and he's someone that will disrupt the football. Um, someone that Kenny Pickett needs to be aware of when he's throwing into the, you know, throwing to the wide receivers, even I wouldn't expect him to mark up on um, Pat Freemuth too much, but you don't know what a scheme could look like um, from them, a bit of an exotic scheme. Equally, you know, if they were going to throw the ball short to a guy like Najee as well, he's a guy that could just be somewhere around the box and hovering around that. Um, So I don't have the lineup in terms of where he has been lining up predominantly, but, I, I honestly, he's the sort of player that you can move around based on how you want to scheme them each week. So it really will just come down to how the New Orleans Saints really want to use him. But as I said, five pass defenses as well. Um, he's had no sacks, no forced fumbles, but five pass defenses. You feel like he's only a, a couple of plays away from interception. I just don't hope that doesn't happen against the Pittsburgh, our Pittsburgh Steelers this week. So, with that, we're going to take a break on Steels Warren. Join me for part two. Going to preview two players that I'm really excited about um, in the upcoming draft. I mean, one's even touted as going in the following draft, but I I kind of think it'll be in this one. Um, So, stay tuned for part two. we're back on Steelers War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matty Peverell, the host of the show that likes to put you in the minds of Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, Anthony Weidel, and the rest of the Steelers' front office as, as they look to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond and a roster over time that compete, can compete for a seventh Lombardi trophy. And so moving on from previewing the New Orleans Saints of rookies um, going into this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, wanted to kick off the draft prospect side of things, gave me an explanation of why we haven't really gone there on the season to date so far. There have been some stuff, stuff that I've prepared, and then just with the storylines that have been happening, it didn't make sense. Um, so we're going to look at two off- offensive linemen today. Now, the latest TDN 100 on the draft network, um, so that's what TDN will, covers up there, was created on the 14th of September, um, so quite early on in the college season. Uh, there are a number of offensive linemen listed in this. Um, now, one none of them the, at that point included um, <laughs> Pashanu. I'm not even going to go for his first name from Penn State that I've seen a bit of hype around with the Steelers. Um, people are talking about him as a first rounder. I think just, I look, I haven't watched a lot of his tape it would just be straight up, but knowing the sort of discussion and where pe- what people are sort of saying about him, I think he probably is a second rounder even at best. Um, but, you know, draft day things happen. The other thing about this draft is even through the first few weeks of the college season, there was the clear narrative across like draft network, pro football network, pro even um, I think I even saw something on pro football talk, but certainly 24-7 sports, that this draft has less deep, is not as deep a talent at the top tier level than what it was last year, maybe even the year before. Um, and obviously some of that's quarterbacks, guys like CJ Stroud, Bryce Young. No, Steelers not draft Bryce Young over Kenny Pickett, like to replace Kenny Pickett. That's ludicrous. Um, but some of these guys are also corner or quarterbacks, and they're going to be taken because of the prestige in the quarterback position, but also because of the quarterbacks. Um, Will Levis is someone they talk about as well. So with that, a lot of the draft Nick draft pundits sort of say, "Well, this is sort of draft. You do want to trade back and collect picks." So unless Will Anderson was on the board, um, or unless Keely Ringo's on there and he really shows out. For me, if the still is right now, they can't have a top five draft pick. If that's what they really had, I'm still like trade back. Even if you're going back to like pick nine and collect more picks, you got to collect more picks. Um, This is the time you want as many in the top 50 uh, because this is where it's going to pay off for you. And now obviously the first round, the advantage you have is you can get, you can get your pick the earlier you have it in terms of who you want, but you also get the fifth-year option. So I understand the value in the first-round picks. I know Steelers fans, some of you be listening go, going, no, we need the number one pick. But there's not necessarily a guy here that's going to completely transform our team. And they, I mean, you just wish there was half the talent in the first round there was last year into this draft. Um, we're not going to talk about Fashano today. I want to do a bit more about him um later on in this process. I want to be able to watch a bit of tape and have a look at him properly. Um, but we're going to talk about two other guys. Uh, and the first guy is Steve Avila or Avila um, out of TCU. Apologies, I've, you've got my accent there to deal with. And we're going to talk about um Javian Cohen out of Alabama. So Steve Avila is someone that I think definitely obviously is an interior offensive lineman. He plays for TCU I uh, talked about him actually after the touchdown under show that we had um Shannon White on this week um in replacement of Marky D, who was out um for personal reasons. And he said, yeah, he looked really rock solid again in the game against West Virginia. So he's someone that's played all of all at left guard um this season so far in college. This season, in the Big 12. Um pretends to play in an inside zone scheme. When you look at the draft networks profile of them, they talk about the fact he's got good size helps him excel in multiple aspects of the game. In pass protection, he does a good job of anchoring and making defenders try to run through him. And when you're 6'6 and 334 pounds, that's obviously a bit of a challenge. Um and so that makes you know that makes it harder for the you know offense. At the guide position they say he does a good job of stopping penetration, which gives his quarterback clean a clean pocket to step into and deliver a pass. I think it's really important when we think about Kenny Pickett and time to throw. Avila also uses his size in the run game. He does a good job of getting into onto defenders and then getting movement off the line of scrimmage. Because he's got a bigger body, it's difficult at times for defenders to shed him. Overall, he shows to be an effective interior offensive lineman who understands the ways to use his body mass to help aid in blocking defenders. Well, you bloody hope so at that size, but I like that, right? I really like that. And to me, I'm not saying this guy's going to be, you know, Quentin Nelson, but when I think about the way Quentin Nelson plays and uses that size, you know, that's an interesting one for me, the cons. um, And I don't, this has been updated deeply since the season, the college season started. I think this was a pre um, pre college season part, but it was sort of the best overall profile. And then we can look at his PFF numbers. Um, They talk about deficiencies or his overall lack of range plays best when defenders are lined up in front of him and he can engage engage them within a confined area. So for me, when I think about that as a rookie and learning that, I think who's he got on that line to help him out? And that's why I think the Steelers are definitely going to have to get a veteran center. I talked about that on the weekend with Shannon White, but I think they're really going to have to look at a a veteran center. I think we talked about that even last week on War Room um, on this show. But yeah, I do think they know that veteran center, that'll help him out. Um, when Avila is put in situations where he's move his feet, they say he often loses his base and technique and becomes an ineffective blocker. I'd love to know. I, I've watched a bit of tape on him this season, but I want to watch a bit more to determine where that's at. And this will not be the last time we talk about Steve Avila on this show as well. I am a really big fan of him. Um, sometimes changing direction can be a challenge for him. He does do a good job of moving to react to a past mus- past. Uh, yeah, past rushes initial move. Um, but when he has to react to a counter move, it doesn't appear that he has deep consistent overall foot quickness to stay in the phase of defenders. It appears that he if he drops some weight, he might perform better in space. I mean, he is a pretty big guy at 334. If he could drop that down a little bit, it would help. Um, sorry, I lied, he wasn't six six, he's six four. I was thinking about for Shanu, but um but at 6'4 if he could strip down to maybe like lose like 1520 and get a bit quicker that might really help him but I like that idea of bigger body um and I think it's someone that might match where the Steelers are at than what they might have currently as well because I, I it's hard to think that Dotson's going to develop into fully develop on the promise and potential that he showed so far. Um, when you look at Steve Villa as well Grades, so he had a 53.8 PFF grade, if you, if you care about them, against Colorado. Um, then he had an 83.2 grade. Then against SMU, he had a 65.8 grade. Against Oklahoma, 63.1. Um, against uh, Kansas, he had 62.6. Oklahoma State, a 57.2. He had a 66 um, against Kansas. Kansas State University, though, I'm sorry, just Kansas University before at the 62.6, West Virginia 62.1, Texas Tech is 75.3. Um, I'm looking forward to him in the next couple of weeks playing, Well, um, shoot this week, playing against the, my Texas Longhorns, and that's where I'm going to get to see a bit of him as well. Um, it's kind of hard. I want to see him do well because I'm a bit of a fan of this guy, but also I uh, obviously want the the Longhorns to do pretty well. Over the course of his college career, he had a 68.3 overall grade in 2019, a 75.8 in 2020. He had an 81.3 in 2021, and right now he's got a 70.6. So, I mean, that's uh, the PFF grades. It's hard to sort of deeply, deeply talk about, um, you know, that, you know, how that fully changes it. He's played what I find really cool. um, If you go to the current season, he's played 945 snaps. Um, on pass blocking in his career so far. Um, so that's kind of funny. And then he's done, um, run blocking. Just pulling that one up because I hate when this changes on me. Um, he's done 943 in run blocking. So he literally has, you know, I counted, it. yeah, it was like two snaps difference across all his whole career versus run and pass, um, which sort of, sort of shows the balance, I guess, in the TCU, um, offense. But, When you look at his pass block grade, 83.4 in 2022, 75.4 in 2021, 68 in 2020, 72.1 in 2019, but he played one snap um, in pass blocking in 2019. So a little bit, you know, kind of contextualized a little bit there, but what you can basically see is that when he has an overall grade of 70.6 so far in the season, pass blocking is where he's doing really well. He's not allowed a sack this year so far. He's only allowed four sacks in his career. In the last two seasons alone in pass blocking, he's played he played 374 snaps last year. He's already played 315 this year. He's only allowed four hurries and six pressures this year. Career to date, he's only allowed four hits along to go burst four sacks, 21 hurries, 29 pressures. So he's pretty effective as a pass blocker. Like pretty effective. Um So that's that's something that, like, you know, you want a guy going through the season and bringing that back into the NFL. Like, we know the Kevin Dotson, we know Kendrick Green's rates and pressures, and I know it hasn't fully translated to the NFL, and some of that's to do with the whole, am I going to be a center, am I going to be a guard thing? But I think with Steve Avila... This is pretty promising from a guy. And this pretty much shows you that like he's a guy that can keep that pocket clean. And that's what we need for this for the Steelers um, going forward. If, if Kenny Pickett's going to be able to grow and develop, and the offense is going to be able to be something more than just quick passing offense. On the run blocking side, that's where he struggles a bit more. He's only got a grade of 67.7 this year um, on run blocking. Um with our with our effective um 296 um on the run blocking snaps 81.9 he had in 2019 2021 76 in 2020 in 2019 he had a 66 so run blocking is really where he needs to sort of pick it up um now steels fans were like well we need to create holes we don't have a good running game but this is something that realistically we if we can't throw the football that's how you're going to compete week in week out in the nfl um, now, you need a good running game, but this is something I think he can develop. And I think this is also really about scheme and who he's got around him. Um, so that's kind of the challenge. But I, that's the area that I want as the season goes on and we get into the offseason. That's what I want to see out of Steve Avila is how much he's progressed um, in that area. So with that, we move on to JV and Colin, uh, the tackle, um, tackle guard. Um, playing for he's played guard most of this season. A lot of people think project think, seems potentially projecting as a tackle. He's number 73 on the TDN 100. Um, he is the fifth, yeah, the, the yeah, the fifth top ranked interior offensive lineman in their, um, in their rankings as well. So he was selected as an SECL freshman in 2020, played 14 games at left guard in 2021. Pros according to the draft network, Um, and they see him as someone that you know could even scrape in. Oh, sorry, I read him as being scraping into. The, I think it was the second round on Pro Football Network, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, But with Javin Cohen or Javin Cohen, um, they talk about his pros being that he looks like he's a complete athlete. He checks the boxes across athleticism, strength, and IQ. His strength shows up in the run game and pass protection. As a run blocker, he shows he can sustain the line of scrimmage and even reset the line of scrimmage by moving defenders backward. In pass protection, his strength shows in that he can anchor on defenders and prevent them from collapsing the the pocket. That's kind of cool when we think about what um Dan Moore does and sometimes hits the floor. And then you look at what Okoraf- four does and is able to really hold that up. I think back to that LA Rams game, they did really well in a couple of years back. And so, I mean, the idea that you can really anchor onto defenders and just stop them getting there. That's what you want. You want them. You want that sort of guy protecting you for a quarterback. His athleticism shows that he can effectively work to the second level under control to make effective blocks. His IQ shows that he's good at identifying twists and stunts and picking them up effectively. I mean, now, obviously the college game is more simple, but if he's already thinking and playing that way, even if it's instinctual and it's not complete coaching, he does play in Alabama who is a good college despite the losses and would care about their line coaching. Um, think about what he could do with some proper coaching in the NFL. Um, he's, they say he's a high-level caliber player that they reckon he has all the tools to finish as one of the top interior offensive linemen this upcoming year um he's 6'4 and 305 pounds so a little bit lighter, a little bit faster than steve Avila. now probably going to go 15 20 picks ahead of him though as well like i expect Avila villa to be picked around where colin's listed at 73 right now in the tdm tdm 100 but as a 73rd pick and i would expect colin makes the top 45 at this rate um in terms of cons though, they say, look, while he does a lot of things well, one part that he could improve is keeping his feet active. When engaging in blocks, he can occasionally stop his feet upon contact. In the NFL, you can anchor guys all you like, but you need to keep that leg drive. Um, from my perspective, they also talk about the issue. This issue prevents him from staying in front of defenders and maintaining blocks. He appears to have the athleticism to stay engaged and keep his feet active. So this seems to be more of an issue of a habit that I believe he can break. Um, this is according to Keith Sanchez of the draft network. He said, lack of keeping his feet active also prevents him from being able to be considered a power run blocker because he doesn't continue to generate power at the line of scrimmage to displace defensive line, defensive lineman off the line of scrimmage. He's an extremely gifted player. But- and if he can fix this small detail in his game, he could easily make an argument to be one of the best defensive linemen in this draft class. So again, like Avila, this is something he's got to work on, but this is why, honestly, I think JV and Colin would be a steal the end of the second, I think the Steelers looking like they're going to get the 33rd and 35th pick or something like that, 34th, 35th in the second round. Um, if he's there, this is the sort of guy you take. To me, this is like you can swap this guy out for Dodson um, very quickly. I mean, Dodson's got one more year left, but you know that that's just the way it is. I wonder about him at the right tackle. I've seen different people talk about him elsewhere on the internet around moving him to a tackle, um, but he's playing at left guard at the moment. And so looking at him from a PFF grade he's a lot worse than a Villa, but it just depends on what you take as PFF grades. He's also someone that I've seen rumored to, you know, be draft eligible for 2024. A lot of people are talking about him in 2023. Um, so, but, you know, he could always choose to sit back another year, if, particularly if they think they're going to rejuvenate Bama. Might be a bad idea in my mind, but let's see. Um, but I will talk about him anyway because I do think he's a cool prospect coming out um and someone that I think will do well in an NFL system. Um so his offensive grade so far in the season is a 68.4, his run block grade is 64.3, his pass block grade is a 76.5, so much better than pass blocking. We talked about that issue there around run blocking. Uh last year in 2021, he had a 61.8 offensive overall grade. Run blocking was a 64.9. Pass block was a 49.8, um, basically because he let in six hits and 28 hurries, no sacks though. Um, played a th- over 1,000 snaps too last year. This year he's already up to 442. In 2020, he only played 28 snaps for Bama, 26 run blocking, two pass blocking. 59.3, um, he was playing swing tackle there, um, 59.3 offensive grade, 58.2 run block grade, 71.0 pass block grade um, for him in 2020. Then looking at his offensive grades on the season so far, um, his best best performance um, came in a week against Mississippi State with a 69.2. His best pass blocking performance came against Utah State with an 83.7. But In the last two weeks, the last two games, he's had an 81.5 against Mississippi State and an 81.7 against LSU. His worst run blocking grade came against Texas um, in week two against my Texas Longhorns with a 51.7. Um, and his best game, he followed that up the next week with his best game at a 71.0 against um, L.A. Monroe Um and the last three weeks, he's had a 63, 66.6, 65.0. So pretty standard in that. But again, it doesn't mean much if you don't believe in PFF grades. So what I can share with you, he's never allowed a sack at the college level. Never allowed a sack. Um, pretty much only played left guard as well. He's only allowed seven hits, 33 hurries, 40 40 um, pressures, which is pretty good. That gives him a, a pass block efficiency rate of 97.7 in, the, in his time in college. Um, so yeah, again, another guy that keeps this pocket clear and I guess you you get that tendency from me in terms of what I'm saying there is that like with both of these guys in a Villa and Colin, it's two prospects that are going to keep this pocket clear Two guys that can play interior. I think a Villa even I'd be open to seeing what, what would he look like at a center? I feel like he's a bit more Mason Cole size rather than a, than a dot, uh, than a green size, but with Colin, you know, people have talked about flexing him out. I just think this guy, to me, if you've got Dodson coming off contract and he's not going to do a team-friendly deal, even if he is, I think he becomes your versatile depth piece. I like JV and Cullen totally. Um, and if you've got multiple second-round picks, this is the draft. You can get someone like this that immediately upgrades your line um, and you can work into your starting lineup and really develop. Um, but with that, that's going to wrap up this week's Steals Warren, As always, go Go Steelers. Keep the faith, Steeler fans. They might just surprise you, particularly as they get some key players back.